Hello, Cavs fans. Well, that's not good. Season over. Final Fear the Fro podcast of the 2022-2023 regular season and playoff run. We are now in off-season mode. I'm about to play you something. Now, I should bury this. I should never let it see the light of day. But I'm going to play it for you for a couple of reasons. First, I want you to have a laugh at my expense. I'm, it's a terrible day in Cavalier fandom. The day after a season-ending loss, nobody enjoys it. But if there's anything that makes me laugh, it's seeing other people suffer, you know, lightheartedly. I don't mean like serious suffering, like people starving to death or anything. I just mean like a fat kid getting hit in the nuts. That always cheers me up. I want you to think of me as a fat kid whose testicles are being pummeled by the New York Knicks fan base right now. I was very confident following the Game 2 dominant performance from our Cavs that adjustments were made, that it was the beginning of the end for the New York Knicks, and in that state of confidence that came after a blowout victory, I composed a song which I planned to debut when the Cavaliers won Round 1. Now, they didn't win Round 1. In fact, they lost it handily. Everything in this song is wrong. The front court asserting their dominance, the Knicks being sent home, Cancun, all those things. I am eating shit left and right. Num, 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 num. And here it is. I'm going to play it anyway because I think it's important to help me grow as a human being. One thing I've learned over the course of this season is something happens that I'm happy about. The Cavaliers win. We had a game-winning shot. We smoked the Houston Rockets, a fan base which I find repugnant. All of those things... I've celebrated them musically. Dylan Brooks hits Donovan Mitchell in the dick. I made a song immediately after that win to celebrate because I was happy. But then the thing is, sometimes you have to confront sadness. And see, for me to keep doing this podcast in which I'm going to have to do podcasts after losses, and that's fine, but what I have to do is be dead inside. I need to figure out a way to just blunt the emotions they come with a loss so that I feel nothing. So that people say, hey, Bob, are you all right? And I say, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's the same. It's all just a slow march till death. And when I reach that state of being, there will be nothing anyone can say that will hurt my feelings. And if I exist there, it will mean nothing to me. That I made a song that turns out to be 100% wrong, like the one I'm going to play for you right now. They don't have enough. The team does not have enough. New York stand up. The New York Knicks will find a way. Orange and blue skies. Big brother's here, and he's going to come kick everybody's ass. Orange and blue skies, baby. There's nothing like the crying. Endless Nick Wine. Damn referee, phony ass call. Crybaby's opining. Cleveland getting traction. Dominate the action. See us at the rim. Feel it. Feel it in my yeah. captions. They wanted the contact. Now begging we pull back. Suiting up at MSG. Major setback. Mobley shutting lanes down. This is Donovan's town. Cancun now departing. Vacation planning starts now. Worry about his handle. Our brick laying from Randall. Success inside the century can't really hold a candle. Half the battle is RJ. Shows up every eighth day. But hey, you kept your draft pick. Quickly looks like shit. Soar as high as you can. Probably not very high. There's a ceiling without Donnie. But hey, you kept this guy. The future of the East is here. How much can you take? The Knicks stay in here. A failure. It's not great. The Knicks are gonna suck forever. forever. The New York Knicks have been eliminated. <laughs>
<laughs> God damn it. God damn it. So yeah, uh, this is not going to be a normal podcast. I wanted to react to the season because quite frankly, this is more the set the stage for the off season podcast. We could pour into numbers, but do we really have to here? Double digit rebounds from Mitchell Robinson. The same fucking story. Game in and game out. And I'm as delusional as the next guy. I sat here thinking, you know what? Despite all the evidence, despite all the numbers, at any moment, they're going to turn it around because we have great big men. They're going to figure it out. It's a scheme thing. It's not a heart or will thing. Well, I feel like I was completely fucking wrong. I sat here and said, the results aren't indicative of what should actually be happening. I told myself that when the Knicks won three of the regular season games, I rationalized it away. Hartenstein didn't get called for a foul. Uh, well, we didn't have Jared Allen and Isaac Okoro. But then it's happened yet again in the postseason. At some point, at some point, you just have to look at a, a series of games, see what's happening on the court. We're being out every single game. We're getting second chances for the other team every single game and just say, no, this isn't just, you know, you can't just patch up a couple of things. This is a problem. 20 second chance points tonight for the New York Knicks. Do you know how many of the Cavs had? Three. Karis Levert. That's it. Crippling. An unsolvable problem. And I know there's a group of Cavs fans who feel like a different coach is all of a sudden going to be able to will our guys into being tougher more physical, more capable than they proved to be in this postseason run. But I don't believe it was scheme that prevented them from being able to stop the endless offensive rebounding parade that was going to the rim for the New York Knicks. They knew it was an issue. I refuse to believe that they didn't try to address it. But in the end, I think it simply comes down to this. They were not able to impose their will. And the Knicks were, and they did, and they wanted to. 75 offensive rebounds in five games. That is ludicrous. And maybe it takes an absolute humiliation at the hands of this Knicks squad for them to make some significant changes in mentality. And by they, I mainly mean Jared Allen. But I speak to the, the whole team. Because if we see these Knicks again, don't kid yourself, it will take a whole team effort to even hang in with these guys, let alone win the battle. And tonight, it wasn't even close. It was a landslide in favor of the New York Knicks. The fact that one man out-rebounded basically our entire team. Do you know how many rebounds we came away with? 30. Do you know how many Mitchell Robinson and Josh Hart came away with? Just those two? 30. There are going to be so many strays. From Knicks fandom, from people who hate Donovan Mitchell, from the Colin Sexton fanboys who want to relitigate the trade. All of it's coming. So strap in. Now me, I try to just ignore shit that makes me feel bad inside because I'm a, a sensitive, special little boy. However, I do want to single out one person specifically who has my respect. The Jesus of the Cavalier Twitter community right now, dying for all of our sins of arrogance along the way. Somehow he has become the poster child for Cavalier's Twitter, and every troll Knicks fan is seeking him out, and there is a shitload. And that is Tony Pesta, sometimes known as Tony Pasta. Tony Pasta! In the Knicks community that is living in his mentions. 
They are angry. They have a chip on their shoulder from being told that they would not defeat the Cavaliers, as I can understand. And that is a loud fan base who is not going to forget this series by Donovan Mitchell. Your team sucked. Jared Allen is a bitch. Evan Mobley is a bitch. Tweet that. Now, the Mobley part, clearly inaccurate. Defensively, he was fine. Offensively, yeah, touch bad. Not as strong as he needs to be to do what he wants to do against those Knicks, but that will come in time. He's had one offseason in the pros under his belt. He's going to be in the weight room. He's going to get a concealed carry permit. And the next time one of these tough guys steps to Evan Mobley, he's going to put him in the fucking grave. Last Boy Scout style. Has a long way to go in that realm, but he is not a bitch. If anything, Julius Randle completely bitched out. 14 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists on, get this, 34-24 splits. And that's 7 three-point attempts a game. This man was shooting 24%. He was fucking awful. So before you come to me with the Evan Mobley look terrible, well, the second-year player just clamped the fuck out of your borderline all-NBA talent. Julius Randle looked like, okay, I finished watching The Last of Us. And in that, there's that moment where you realize somebody got bit by one of the zombie mushroom things, and you're like, okay, they're going to turn. We should put him down. But they're like, no, no, maybe we'll salvage it. it could, maybe he won't turn. Maybe it won't happen. Cut your losses and kill Julius Randle. I don't even know. The fact that the Knicks won this with one of their top two players playing like absolute dog shit, it's more impressive honestly, but it does make you wonder. We've got two playoffs now, where at least up until this point, Julius Randle has been horrible. Now, who knows? Second round against Miami, maybe he turns it around. But if he doesn't, if this is what we can expect from playoff Randle, then maybe they need to look at moving him in the offseason along with many of their precious draft assets they did give up for Donovan Mitchell to get an upgrade in the way of somebody who shows up in the playoffs. In 10 games, He's averaged 16 points and 9 rebounds on 32-28 splits. Atrocious. But the Knicks won the series, so that will get lost. And what people will cling on to is what we saw from Donovan Mitchell. I don't feel like I was the player I needed to be for this group. Um, that's what's going to keep me up at night is just I've done it all year. You know what I mean? So I just didn't deliver, you know, like I'm expecting myself to and my teammates and everybody expects me to. And like I said, I, I take that upon myself, man. Like, got to be better. Got to be better. Everybody hates when I say that, you know, in the locker room, but it is what it is. You know, ultimately, I got to be better for my guys, man. And yeah. Donovan is not running from accountability here, but that's not going to stop the slings and arrows. We're going to be relitigating the Colin Sexton, Lowry Markinen, Ochai Obaji trade for the whole fucking summer, especially from the Sexton fans who just can't let it go. That the guy that they loved, who wasn't even in the playoffs, but he would have performed better. We're going to hear that. And then we're also going to have to hear from the people who want to trade Jared Allen. Now, I'm not going to sit here and try to defend what Jared Allen did because he was bad by any standard. In the last two games, he had four rebounds in each one of them. Tonight, just four points, four assists, and four rebounds. The bad kind of fo fo fo. In games where he's had four or less rebounds this season, including the regular season, the Cavs have lost all of them. 0 for 4. And he finished the playoffs averaging a meager 
nine points, seven rebounds. But it's not it's not just the counting numbers because it'd be one thing if the reason why he wasn't accumulating rebounds was because his sole focus was on taking Mitchell Robinson away from the glass. But he could not even prevent that from happening. And what was one of the Cavs' biggest advantages in the regular season rendered irrelevant by Josh Hart, Hartenstein, Mitchell Robinson. I get it. If your idea is that the only way that we can maneuver to a better situation is by trading one of the core four, then yeah, Allen is the first one you're probably going to look at. But I would ask you two things. If Allen is damaged goods, if Allen has been exposed as unplayable against good bigs in the playoffs, in a playoffs where there are several good bigs, Brooke Lopez, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, DeAndre Ayton, Bam Adebayo, Anthony Davis, then who the fuck is giving someone of equal or greater value for him? Everybody wants to ship Jared Allen off for a 3 and D wing. Let's find our OG Ananobi. Let's find our Mikael Bridges. This is a wing league. If you think that $20 million of Jared Allen is going to equal $20 million of elite 3 and D wing, you're wrong. It's not commensurate value. The only way a Jared Allen brings someone like an OG Ananobi is if the Raptors realize next year, when he's set to expire following the season, that they don't want to pay him a max salary. So they pivot into get anything before we lose him for nothing. That's the only way a deal like that happens. And that's exactly how we got Jared Allen. They didn't want to pay him in restricted free agency, so the Nets were willing to deal him for a late first-round pick. If you want to hold out hope for that, sure, go right ahead. But if someone is willing to offload a player rather than just paying him, it probably means he has warts of his own. Brooklyn, they got lots of wings, right? Maybe we trade for them. Except this. They have Nick Claxton. Do you really think they want a Jared Allen? Fuck no. Well, now that he's been exposed as a playoff liability, we need to dump him. Other teams have eyes. You're advocating trading him at a sell-low point. If you think that's going to bring back a piece that perfectly balances your roster, we'll just agree to disagree on that point. But let's say you do find this wing. What if the problems you solve with a little bit more three-point shooting are canceled out by the problems you create by gutting our already paper-thin front court? You can't unring that bell. Plus, with Darius Garland's extension kicking in, if that wing doesn't happen to be a fit, like many felt with Karis LeVert, well, similar to his situation, you just have to extend him. You won't have replacement ability. So you better not fuck this trade up. Regular season results, we have them. Playoff results, it was a fail in a five-game sample. Are you really ready to throw the fro away because he got out-rebounded by the man who was the single best offensive rebounder in the league running away? Since Jared Allen has joined the Cavs in games where he's got a double-double, we're 57-27. and 27. That's a 68% win percentage. He had 32 double-doubles this year. Don't take a five-game sample, regardless of the pressure and importance of it, and treat it like it's the rule, as opposed to the exception. I don't think that's the right way to view it. Not yet, anyway. We go from out of the playoffs to one disappointing playoff series, and a core which took multiple years to cobble together were ready to throw in the towel. Have just a minimal amount of patience. We are better than treating this season like it was a win-at-all-cost season. We knew it wasn't. 
Don't be the guy advocating a trade based on a five-game sample against the best rebounder in the NBA. Now, I'm not saying that we may not reach a point someday where we decide, listen, this is our only avenue. You don't pull that cord yet. I would sooner fire Bickerstaff before I discarded what the identity of our entire defense was due to one failed postseason. When you're trying to trade for an elite 3 and D wing and your main return is Jared Allen, be realistic. He's a great center, but center serves a very specific purpose in this NBA for most centers who aren't Jokic or Embiid. Jared Allen is a finisher and a rim protector. Most teams only need one of those. Just look at this playoffs. There's a litany of good interior big men. Anthony Davis, Bam Adebayo, Jokic, Embiid. Apparently Mitchell Robinson, greatest center we've ever seen. Not every team even would want a Jared Allen to take up $20 million on their cap sheet, regardless of how good of a player he is. You can play multiple wings. Every team can play multiple wings. Some teams, the Clippers, the Raptors, all they seem to do is play wings. I would argue the value Jared Allen has for us, due to the fact that we constructed this roster very deliberately, would make him more valuable for us than almost any team in the NBA. Do we reap the benefits of Mobley being able to roam if we take away the rim protector? No. Do we give Darius the needed space if we don't have the gravity of both Mobley and Allen down there? Maybe if Mobley takes a big leap, but it's far more effective when you have the number one dunker in the NBA in Mobley and the number six dunker in Jared Allen forcing teams to stay at home. Now, how about, alternatively, we look at giving them some support so we can allow them to play a little bit more aggressively without having to worry so much about losing one of them to foul trouble? Maybe that's a more cost-effective and realistic way that we can tweak this roster without exploding this roster. Well, who, Bob? Who are we talking about? Well, it's a pretty shit free agent crop. I'm not going to lie to you. But what about a Plumley? Plumley was fantastic in that closeout game. In, in 25 minutes against the Phoenix Suns, he put out a 20 and 10. And this was a guy who could have been had at the trade deadline. We could have centered a deal around Jetty Osman for Plumley. Would you think it would probably be worth it now? If Osman was not in the rotation, well, then we almost certainly would have been playing a Coral more because we would have had no choice. And we would have had another body to throw out there as Jared Allen was eating all sorts of dick against Mitchell Robinson. I would say rather than trying to trade a center, which we know is probably the least valuable position in the league from a trade perspective, we instead try to add a center because it's one of the cheapest positions that you can bring in. Plus, if you find an effective one, like a Hartenstein for the Knicks, or a Plumley for the Clippers during this playoff run, well, then you future-proofed yourself. If you do end up trading Jared Allen, at least you have somebody who can absorb the role. Right now, we don't. We have Dean Wade and Osman, and you want to blow up our front court to bring in this hypothetical wing when Karis LeVert had a fantastic playoff series. I am all for adding wing support, but we have the mid-level exception, we have the biannual exception, we have a second round pick, which will be in the middle of the round. We could even buy our way up further into the second round. With this extra two-way spot, there'll be more players that we can afford to bring on who are already further along in their development. We don't have to just take draft and stash, guys. I would argue 
that what we need to do is focus on working the fringes. Have a little faith that no matter how tiresome this conversation of you have to go through it in order to get better is, that there's some validity to it. And that Darius Garland and Evan Mobley will channel these failures into successes next season. And when we give them a little bit more variety and capability off the bench, that we're going to maximize those core four guys in a way which we failed to do in this playoff run. And the same can be said about JB. Let's move on to that conversation. This was a bad playoff debut for JB. There's no way around it. But for whatever failings you may point out in him, not giving Okoro enough minutes, playing Rubio at all, all of a sudden rolling out Lamar Stevens as we were just desperately flailing in this game, losing in five. Maybe that's an unacceptable result to you. It certainly feels pretty unacceptable to me, but I will also say you can't look at this series and just disregard what the guys who he should have been able to rely on, what they gave him. Look at these numbers. Dead last in defensive rebounding. We were 15th out of 16 teams in overall rebounding. As far as points go, 15th. Three-pointers made, 13th. Turnovers. Dead effing last. Dead last, meaning we turned it over the most. I know JB wasn't calling timeouts and saying to Donovan Mitchell, hey, do you want to give the ball directly to the other team? I'm pretty sure that wasn't communicated. I'm also fairly confident that he didn't say, hey, Donovan Mitchell, do you want to go out there and channel Julius Randle and just miss every goddamn three-pointer? Good, go do that. There are certainly game plan flaws, but there is a shitload of execution failures. And if you want to pin that accountability on the coach, that's fine. But honestly, if you have a first-team All-NBA player, those type of players should not turn the ball over that much. Your best player, he can't be. Evan Mobley not being able to finish his shots, whatever the reason is, the pressure, the physicality of Julius Randle, you can tell a guy what's coming. You can tell Evan Mobley that finesse isn't going to work in the playoffs, but you can't coach a guy to all of a sudden not be 220 pounds facing one of the biggest front lines in the NBA. I think the national analysts are going to run with this because all the metrics are terrible, but I also think there isn't a chance in hell JB's going to get fired. Now, we fail next season, it's a different story. But you trade for a guy in September, you don't even build a roster around him yet, you don't fill in for the multiple guys you traded to get him because you weren't able to. The signings had already been made. Free agency was effectively done at that point. Now we have a chance. We don't have a ton of assets, but we have a couple exceptions. We have a second-round pick. Maybe we buy more. Who knows? Any type of return to form from a Dean Wade, another summer of recovery from Rubio, maybe Danny Green gets a little faster, he comes back on some type of minimum deal. We don't know what's going to happen there, but we do know that there's likely to be at least two more players in the rotation who weren't going into next year, whether it be guys who fell out this year and get back into it by next season, or whether it be guys we add through free agency in the draft. And that would go a long way. And maybe silver lining, some veterans saw us eat all kinds of shit on a national stage and said, hey, I'm better than the garbage they're trotting off the bench. I'm going to go there because I'll be able to showcase and get a bigger payday on my next contract. Maybe that happens. And then some of this suffering wasn't for nothing. Some of it had some value. But we haven't even got one free agency period yet. I freely admit I'm not sold on JB's ability to make in-game adjustments, to use timeouts and challenges effectively. I don't know if he can do that when it matters. And if we even get a whiff 
that Donovan Mitchell or Evan Mobley doesn't like J.B. Bickerstaff, then pack his shit up, set it outside by the dumpster, call him and say, hey, come get your garbage. But there's no indications of that. And you can dismiss going from not a playoff team to over 50 wins, the best defense in the NBA, and a much improved offense. You can dismiss it if you want, but it does have some value because it shows there's a baseline there of consistent ability to perform. Not on the highest stage, but the Cavaliers had never been on that stage, this iteration anyway. So yeah, I get it. It's not exciting. I'm saying I don't want to trade Jared Allen. I'm saying I don't think we will fire JB, regardless of my feelings on it. That will probably not satisfy a lot of people who have some, well, we just shit our pants bloodlust. And I get the bloodlust. I do. But I would say take a moment and consider that we basically have nowhere we can go but up after this playoff debut. Now, if I pause a moment, I realize how asinine what I just said was. I essentially was like, Cavaliers basketball, it gets better. I'm still me, but I'm not quite who you thought. It does get better. And there's a certain freedom in what happened this season because you can't do worse than getting emasculated in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Do we think we can underperform what we did this year, next year? I mean, if that happens, this podcast will end under very dark circumstances. But hey, chin up is my general message. Kill Julius Randle and chin up because there's still a lot to talk about this summer. We get to beat to death all the various ways which we can approach recovering from this very devastating first round experience. And I want to thank everybody who's joined me. This is the second season I've been doing the Fear of the Fro podcast. I'm late to the podcast game, but the leaps and bounds it took from year one to year two, all of you are responsible for that. You're responsible because of the reviews you've left. It helps make it easier to find when people just search in the different Spotify or the Apple podcast section. It's bringing it to the attention of your friends. It's the people. I love the Reddit guys. You've taken something that was me just basically toiling away in obscurity, and it has grown tenfold this season. That is going to allow me to do more things, like get more people on. Now, I, I did learn I have suffered some failings of my own. I've realized that there is a cost to being an unrepentant dick when it comes to my stupid little songs and pre-opens. Is it going to stop me from doing that? No, but it will stop me from publicizing it in other social media avenues because what I've realized is trying to get people who are fans of other teams to engage you in a podcast when you have just slandered them or their team or their favorite players, it's not, uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but I will improve. I still will be podcasting. I know some of you may punch out. It may be NFL draft time. I'm done with the Cavs for a bit. I'll come back when the draft and free agency hit. And if that's the case, I understand. But from the bottom of my heart, I wanted to thank you for everything that you have done to help grow this podcast this year. It's a labor of love. It's a team that I care vastly about more than any other professional or collegiate team out there. So I hope to continue growing this thing as we move forward. I'm Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, lifelong Cavs fan. Good season, not great season, room for improvement, but a lot to be excited about. And I hope Evan Mobley comes back and it's a goddamn bloodbath. 
This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.